In any case, last Sunday, I shared that what I believe the Bible teaches essentially about that final seven-year period in human history as we know it that many people in the Western church mistakenly refer to as the tribulation period or the great tribulation period, though we know what they mean. But when we look in God's Word in Daniel chapter 9, we see it actually is related to Daniel's 70th week, that final seven-year period. And we see in that final seven-year period that there's two specific entities that God is going to be working in and through. Number one, he's going to be speaking to and trying to win back uh, the people of Israel. It will be a season in which God will bring Israel to repentance once and for all through a number of events he'll use during that final seven years. But when we come to the New Testament, because, of course, the church wasn't mentioned in the Old, none of the prophets of old foresaw the church. So we come to the New Testament. We see in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, Revelation 6, that Jesus actually takes that same seven-year period, and he sits down with the disciples, and he basically says, okay, guys, here's how the church fits into that final seven years. And we see that God has a purpose for that final seven years, though we're not here for all of it, but his purpose essentially is to refine the church. So he will use that time to bring Israel to repentance, but he'll also use that time to refine the church globally that we might actually be empowered as the Lord has always intended, and globally we will see a harvest of souls like we've never seen before. Now, I don't believe for a moment, as I shared last week, in what is called replacement theology. I don't believe for a moment that at any point in time ever the church replaces Israel. I don't believe in that. But neither do I believe that, the, that Israel ever replaces the church. We have two entities whose destinies are intertwined, as we see in God's Word. We're also seen in everyday life today. And as we move into that time, God has a purpose for both of us in his redemptive plan. Now, I just want to touch quickly because I'm going to bring Deborah up in a moment. Um, I plan, like I said, to wrap this up last week. And Deborah and I got talking last, last Monday. We were at the gym and uh, didn't get a whole lot of workout done. But we uh, were talking probably about an hour. And uh, my jaws were tired at the end of the workout. I know that. But um, so we had a chance to chat. And Deborah shared some things. And if you don't know Deborah, she's an elder in our church. She's on the board, but she's more than that. She's a spiritual elder. She's a mentor uh, to many people in this congregation. And we just admire her, her love for Jesus, her walk with the Lord. And she just shared some things with me that, that just really stuck with me. And I said, Deborah, I really think you need to, to share that with the body. I think it's very relevant to what we've been talking about. And it needs to come from somebody who really has experience of God working through challenges, through trials, and even through suffering and what he brings out. Because I do believe some of those things are certainly in store for the church as well in the days ahead. Now, we mentioned last week, for example, um, as I mentioned earlier, that Jesus is coming, and his coming will be a surprise for don't, those who don't know him. Again, Paul said, he will come as a thief in the night to them, but not to you and me. Now, some will also say, well, Pastor, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, that no one knows the day or the hour when the Lord returns. And, of course, that's exactly what he said. But you have to put it in context. Why? Because I believe what Jesus was saying, number one, is that you will not be able to project a date. You will not be able to say, here's where the Lord is coming. Because that's what a lot of folks have done down through the ages, right? We need to sell everything and get on a mountaintop because he's coming on May 21st, whatever it may be. Well, he can't do that. Oh, we can't do that, obviously, Jesus says. But, but at the same token, how do I know he's referring to that? Because after Jesus foretold all those events that we mentioned last time, you remember when the disciples said, Lord, what's the sign of your return in the end of the age? He said, all these things will happen. He mentioned some things, and he said, but don't worry, it's not the end yet. Then this will happen. It's not the end yet. Then this will happen. And then he said, and then after all these things happen, this will be the sign. You'll see the sun turn dark, the moon turn to blood, the stars fall from the sky. In other words, total blackness, canvas, when the Son of God comes for his church. And in fact, the Bible is very clear in Revelation 6 that when Jesus comes for his church, every eye will see him. There's no, I believe with all my heart there's no such teaching in the word of God of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, of an any moment rapture. What the Bible teaches is not imminency. The Bible teaches expectancy. 
expectancy of the people of God. How do I know this? Let's look at Luke. Well, you don't have your Bibles, and I didn't put any overheads up, so trust me. But you can turn on your phones, or you can open your Bible. I've never seen so many people turn to the Bible. Are you sure he said this? Luke 21, again, the same passage, Jesus outlining the order of events leading to his return. Jesus, after he says all that, he says this in verse 28. When you see these things begin to take place, what's he saying? When you, as believers, begin to what? See these things. How can you see them? Because you're awake. You're not cuddled in your bed. You're not dreaming, you know, trying to dream something different, make this all go away. When you who can discern the days you live in, who are alert, who are awake, who are sober, when you begin to see these things, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption, that is the time that God will free you, save you, deliver you, is drawing near. So does one verse contradict the other? I don't believe so. I believe what Jesus is saying very simply in all these scriptures is number one, you cannot project a date for my return. But if you are alert and awake, you will know when it's very near. Now, what's important to understand, as you mentioned last time, is all these things don't just begin with that final seven-year period. What we do see and what we will see is an intensifying and a climaxing of what we are already seeing today until things finally come to an end, and it will be unlike we've ever seen to this point. Now, I've become increasingly convinced that the real stumbling block of North American end times theology is not the ability to understand Scripture. Our problem is our theology of suffering. That's where the real issue is. When we talk about these things, a lot of believers get all bristled, all, I don't know, pastor. And if you examine your heart, it's because I don't like the thought of suffering. Let's be honest. None of us really do. I don't look forward to it either, right? But there are a lot of things I've gone through in my life that the Lord had told me I would not have wanted to go through them, right? But as I began to move through them and I began to press in closer to the Lord and depend on him, I found a strength and a grace. I found a reality, a presence, and a power that brought me through those things. And I can look back and say, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for what you shaped in me. Thank you for what you've shown me. Thank you how you've made me more able to minister to others because of what I've gone through. And I don't believe the principle is any different in anything that we go through in our walk with the Lord. I think when the average believer in the Western church thinks about being around for that season of great tribulation, like I say, as many people call it, there's usually two questions or two fears. Number one is, how will I be able to stand in such a time? And the second question is, basically, if God loves me, how can he let me go through something like that? Let me speak to the first one real quick. The term great tribulation, as I mentioned last time, the term great simply speaks of the scope. It doesn't have anything to do with the scale. Our brothers and sisters are dying around the world for solely for their faith in Jesus Christ to the tune of up to 360 million people every single year all around the world only because they love Jesus, no other reason. But we know that the persecution of the church right now is isolated. It's just in various parts of the world. You see, when, we talk, when Jesus said at the midpoint of the seven year, when we move into what is called the great tribulation time, he's talking about it would now spread around the whole world. The entire church will be under persecution by the Antichrist for a season before the Lord returns. So he's talking about the fact that the persecution that's going on now will be global. I don't think we're going to suffer any worse than brothers and sisters already do. There's, you know, the enemy's only so creative. He's done the, the worst he can do already. And we'll just get, simply have the honor of being able to share in that with our brothers and sisters. 
Some of us may be long gone by then. It could be many years away. It could be a few years away. We don't know. We just know it's coming, and we know the Lord has the purpose for it. So it will be global in nature. Remember when Jesus said to the disciples, he said, greater things, greater works will you do than I've done because I'm going to the Father. What's he saying? He's saying, you're going to do the same miracles I did, but they're going to be greater in scope because I'm going to be in you. I'm going to be in millions of believers. In other words, the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth with signs and wonders and all the things that Jesus did. So it's greater in scope, and Jesus meant the same thing when it came to tribulation. But here's the key. When Jesus said to the disciples, greater things will you do than me, Jesus wasn't trusting in their ability, their own skill set to do what he did and to carry it on when he left, right? Because what did Jesus say? Don't you dare go anywhere with this message until what? Until you receive power from on high. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses throughout the world. And so, you see, if the disciples had done it in their own strength, they wouldn't have lasted more than a week. The whole new religion would have folded and disappeared. And the same is true for you and me in the last days, my friend. We need to understand, when it comes to what the church is going to face, the Lord has a purpose. Through that, he's going to refine his church. He's going to empower his church. Yes, there's going to be some falling away, but there's also going to be a great gathering of people who genuinely are in love with Jesus, who are kingdom-minded, who are doing the work of the gospel that Jesus has always called us to do. But we are going to do it not in the power of our Western technology or more, you know, more slickness or smoothness, or whatever the case may be. We are going to do it by a visitation of the Holy Spirit and power. I believe God is wanting to bring the church to a place of total dependence upon him of love for him and love for his kingdom. But right now he knows, though there are many people who are awakening and many of us are, are kind of awakening from our sleep, got a couple blankets pulled back, maybe we've got one foot on this floor, you know, whatever. We're kind of getting there. But the Lord knows that for much of the church, it's going to take a stripping away that you can't control. It's going to take him dealing with some stuff, getting stuff out of our life that otherwise we will never let go of. And he never takes anything without replacing a hundredfold. And what he replaced it with is so much more glorious, as Deborah's going to share in just a moment. Because I believe with all my heart that, that in these days in which we live, we think a lot of times of that time of great persecution. How will I be able to stand? My concern right now is how are Christians going to stand if our economy goes upside down tomorrow? How many people are going to fall away from Jesus simply because their bank account has collapsed and doesn't mean anything? Or, you know, just, just things we're going to go through that normal citizens in our country are going to go through just because of the days we live in that have nothing to do with persecution. So, you see, even in this season that we're in right now, we have to get serious when the Lord is talking to us about specific things, whether it's spiritual apathy, unbelief, prayerlessness, whether we're messing around with sin, whether we're being entertained by the perversion of our culture, whether we're buying into all, whatever, whatever we're being seduced by, the Holy Spirit is speaking to his people, and you know what he's talking to you about, just like he's talking to me, right? But we have a choice. Do I hit the snooze button and go back to sleep, or do I say, I got to hit the gym? I got to get up. I got to get in shape. I got to exercise. I got to discipline myself. I've got to know Jesus, I've got to work while it's still day. And I really believe in all my heart that is what the Lord is speaking to the church today. And I understand the temptation, and I understand the temptation of spiritual leaders not to get people upset. And I understand our temptation to say, Pastor, Pastor, stop nudging me. I just want to go back to sleep. I don't want to think about this stuff. I want to deal with this stuff. I tell you these things because I love you. 
I tell you these things because I care about you and about your walk with Christ. And I tell you these things because there's the world who is going to go through the same stuff we're going through, and they don't know Jesus. They don't know what's going on. We do. We know what is going on, and we know there's a glorious end in all of this. And so we say, how am I going to be able to stand? Acts chapter 4, I'll just read it quickly. Peter prayed, and this is after they baptized in the Holy Spirit. The first time they were out doing ministry, now they're exhausted again. He says, now, Lord, consider the threats of these religious leaders and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they prayed. As they prayed, the place that they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again, and they spoke the word of God boldly. How am I going to be able to stand, Pastor? That's how you're going to stand. That is how you're going to stand. You're going to realize your desperate need to actually know Jesus, to be in his presence, to be filled with his Holy Spirit and power. And the second question is, how could God let us go through something like that? Very simple. Put eschatology aside. Where are the fastest growing churches in the world today? They're in the most persecuted nations. The fastest growing churches. Yep, Iran. Afghanistan, North Korea, China, fastest growing churches in the world. What do they share in common? They are all being persecuted for their faith. They're being imprisoned for their faith. All of them, the exact same thing has happened to them, and yet the fire of the Holy Spirit is spreading through those nations. So what makes more sense? Again, this is just totally subjective on my part, but if I'm God the Father looking down at this whole planet, and I see where the church is being persecuted. I see they're in love with me. I see, as Revelation says, they love not even their own lives unto death for the gospel. And I see the kingdom being preached and signs and wonders and people come to Christ in the darkest places. But then I look at the Western church and I see them comfortable and opulent and asleep. And I see their nations going to hell. What do you think the Father's heart is? I'm not willing that any should perish. I'm going to refine. I'm going to purge. I'm going to purify my church globally. And through that, there will be a harvest of souls that the world has never seen, that the kingdom has never seen. Deborah, would you come up, please? This is Deborah Pa. Uh, many of you will know her. Deborah's a dear friend, and her husband, Gustav, has been here for a short time in Canada himself, um, and she is an elder in our church. Um, when we were talking in the gym, like I say, she shared a few things she's going to share with you. I said, Deborah, I think the congregation needs to hear this, and in the context of what we've been speaking on, uh, I'm not speaking next week, so you'll, you'll have a nice, nice message. Um, but, uh, but I'll just say this. One of the challenges we have, I think, in the Western church is that we see what Scripture says about what is coming. And we look at that difficulty like it's way up here because we're looking at it from our perspective right now, which is here. But you see, God's not going to leave us here. Even now, there are people who are responding to the prompt of the Holy Spirit, getting hungry for the Lord and stepping out, and they're already sensing the Lord just pulling them up, growing them, growing them, exposing them to things. The Lord wants to bring us to the place and understand that wherever sin abounds, whatever the enemy has to throw at us, whatever is coming at us, we're not going to stay here. He's going to bring us up to meet that challenge, and even to be overcomers of those challenges, just like he does in our lives. So we have to be careful that we're not looking at all these things from where we are right now. Friends, there is a whole level of Holy Spirit intimacy and purity and consecration and power that we have not even seen. 
I believe what the Lord has in store for the church and therefore for the world in the last of the last days, it will surpass anything that was happening in Azusa Street. Azusa Street itself, as glorious as it was, is just a template for what the Lord has in store because we're already seeing those things happen in other places of the world. So I've already talked a bit too long. Deborah, God bless you. She's got a great word. I really appreciate it in the first service. I know she'll encourage your heart. Amen. Let's welcome her again as she comes to share. Sure. Very good. They like it when you tap it real hard. That's a, I'm sorry for changing that. Sorry. I had my note, but I didn't look at them, but I'm going to try to do it. Well, how can I, I say this in the first service? I was like, how can I talk when Pastor Paul finished talking? I consider him one of my, the best pe- uh, speaker. You too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I love Pastor Paul. Vanessa and Pastor Paul always be there for me and in a heart, in a happiness. I'm so thankful and so I learn a lot from him and from both of them. They're just an amazing people. God is so good. Like Pastor Paul was saying, we went to the gym to really work out. I mean, we didn't. We worked our mouth out. <laughs> and that was so cool. And I was sharing something with Pastor Paul. And when I saw him and I said, hey, you have a, a little bit of pause with me because I used to fight you with that message. And uh, we started laughing. But... Um, uh, I'm going to share my experience according to the first time I heard Pastor Paul speaking about uh, uh, the end time and the tribulation. I remember that Sunday finishing the, the message. I went home and going home and I said, what is he talking about? I won't go through that. I'm like, God, Jesus is going to come before I went through that suffering and he's going to take me away with him. I'm like, what is he talking about? And I didn't realize, you know, I love God. I love God. I don't know about you. God always have a moment when he's starting dealing with our hearts. And in that moment, I went to prayer. Usually when I, after the message, I'm going to go home and pray and just to ponder on what the Lord was speaking through anyone who was speaking that day. And I started praying and the Lord asked me this question. He said, hey, are you ready to suffer for me? Are you ready to pay any price for the, my name's sake? Are you ready to go through anything that I can bring in your way and you're going to still stand to honor my name? You know what? The answer wasn't a yes. So I realizing in that moment that my struggle with the message wasn't just Jesus was supposed to come after or before or after the tribulation. What I was struggling more to see that how can I go through that pain and my heart wasn't ready to go through the pain or the suffering for the sake of name of Jesus. And then the Lord started dealing with me and said, Deborah, listen, it's not about me coming before or after, but I want you to stand up and to be ready. No matter what it takes, you're going to be for you, Jesus, I will stand. No matter suffering, it can come to your way. You can still stand and say, for you, Jesus, I will stand. And then the Lord started doing what you call the open heart surgery. I love, I don't love the open heart surgery. Nobody loves that. The open heart surgery. And I think about 
when I go to collusion and Paul is saying, I'm rejoiced in my suffering. How come this suffering become a place of rejoicement? It wasn't for me when I heard the message. And I thought like I wasn't ready to go through the suffering, but I was ready to go through something else. I was ready to go through the blessing that the Lord couldn't bring with his name. I was ready to receive for God. I was ready when the Lord was encouraging me, but for the suffering, I wasn't ready for the name of Jesus. And then when I thought about the God starting working in my heart, and I was supposed to go to the place to give God a platform of my heart so he can reign in that place in that moment. I'm going to tell you a story that I spoke this morning. Three years ago, my family went through something really difficult. It was my brother had a baby. And before the baby was born, they knew that was a heart problem. And we started praying about it. When the baby is going to uh, be born, everything is going to be okay. We are women and men of faith. We prayed about it, and the baby was born. And there was all kind of the doctor around the baby, and the heart wasn't that strong. So he stayed in the hospital for a little bit. And then after that, the baby came out seven days after, I think, five days after the baby went home. They said, oh, we see everything is good, but the baby's going to need maybe a heart, open heart surgery. The baby went home. The baby was good. The baby was eating. Seven days after, they were supposed to go back to the hospital for the checkup. So they went. The baby looked so good. But they went to the hospital. They looked, and everyone was panicking, and all the doctor was going around. And when they were going around, and my brother didn't understand, and they looked at my brother. They said, we need to bring the plane. Your, do- your son that was living in Calgary will have to go to Edmonton to have an open-heart surgery. That was her heart. We're like, God, we prayed for this. But the thing, there is two stories that I take from these things, this story of my nephew. First story, it's like how God can do a spiritual open heart surgery inside of us through suffering. And the second, to see how for him to live, he was supposed to do what? To go through the open heart surgery. It wasn't an easy thing. And I looked at the parent and they say, it's going to be hard. Maybe we have 50, 50% of living, but the only option he has right now is the open heart surgery. If we think, is it some places in our heart that we feel like, I don't want to go through that pain, but that's the only way that you can become stronger. That's the only way that the open heart surgery that the Lord want to do through your heart and through the hardship to make you stronger. So when the, the, head that is, the time that is going to be hard is going to come to you, you can still stand. Who will stand that day when it's going to be difficult if your heart is not strong enough? And he was supposed to trust his baby boy that he loves so much in the hand of somebody else. Can you trust your heart with the hand of God? Can you trust your pain with him? Saying, I'm going to trust my heart, even it's full of pain. This is my pain. I don't want to run from the pain, but I want to trust God in that pain so he can strengthen me so I can be stronger enough. And my brother went to the hospital. They told him what was going to happen. Maybe he's going to die. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And what happened that day, the doctor looked at him and he said, it's time. I never see my brother pray the way he prayed that time. 
My family, my family was challenging at a difficult time, but we were fasting and praying day after day, going to work and seeking God. You know what was happening? God started teaching us again how to trust him. God started teaching us again how to know him in a deeper way. The problem was a hard problem for our baby, but other things God was starting working in our heart, working in my brother's marriage, working in the heart of his wife, working in those, God was using those moments, but it was a moment God was restoring something that was already dead. Allow the Lord, trust him with your pain. Trust him with your heart. Let him do the what you call open heart surgery. He took the doctor. He said, I'm going to trust you with something, the most precious things for me. I'm going to pray for you. The first time the doctor, somebody asked him to pray for his hand. He said, I know that you have all the knowledge, but the one who has the most knowledge is God. I'm going to trust you, but I know he's going to use you to bring something. And I trust that this baby is going to come. It was a hard time after the, the, the open heart surgery. It wasn't easy. He was supposed to learn how to breathe again. He was supposed, there was a lot of things was happening. But you know what? More one thing at the time was happening. The strength of the baby was coming back. But through what? Through pain. Pain is not a bad thing. Pain is not to destroy us, but to make us stronger. That's we Christian. We are not dead. We, are not, we cannot be destroyed. But to make us what? Stronger. In that time, we see the hand of God. What is something that inside of you, like Deborah, who like, I love God. I can preach God and the glory of God is going to be okay. I can do whatever. But don't talk to me that I'm going to go through suffering for Jesus. Oh, that one. I believe everything that God is going to do but go through suffering, that is not part of my option. Am I living for me or I live for Jesus? The one who called me died in the cross for me. He suffered, he lived the throne of grace and died in the cross for me in the shamest moment that ever seen. He did it for who? For you and I. How can I not stand and say, for you, Jesus, anything? For you, Jesus, anything. Open heart surgery. I'm challenging you today to start thinking in your heart, which part of your heart that is still resisting pain? <laughs> which part of your heart that is not? I, wanna, I live in a culture that pain was part of our life. That missing something was part of our life. When I was writing this and I, call, I go to the one place, I say abundance. People who know me know that I came from Congo. And uh, we moved here a couple of years ago with my family. Run from the war, see people killed, see suffering, eating once a day. <laughs> I know what to have everything and when, when you don't have anything. I'm going to tell you a secret. In that moment of suffering that my family was going through, it's the moment that I knew God in a deeper way. I wasn't the same. People say, God called you for great things. You know what is happening? It's good to know that God called us for great things. But we have to know too, that great thing have the price. We want to see the glory of God. There is a price for the glory of God. We want to see God moving. There is a price. The price of praying. Sometimes I want, God, I want to be in the TV. That's how I feel comfortable. God said, being in the TV is not what is going to stintend you, Deborah. The glory that you are looking, you need to be on your knees. Day and night and seeking me. I moved to Canada. 
a woman of faith because I see all miracle that God can do. I see God providing for my family. I see God doing a miracle to bring us here. I know that God was the only option that I had. My mom, when I said, mom, can you give me this? He said, you know what, Debra? You can ask your father. I knew that I, I, I grew up with a single mom, but I didn't grow up without the father because Jesus was my father. And I learned to depend on him in every little thing that I wanted from him. Then I came to, then Canada happened. <laughs> I came here, God promised us, we came here. It was a great moment. I was so thankful that God can take us and my mom doesn't have to worry what we're going to eat tomorrow. I don't have to pray. Or, you know what? But Canada starting taking one little thing from me. He started giving me too much option. When God was my only option, Canada started telling me that I have more option. Deborah, if you need money than before when you were young, you used to go to prayer to ask for that money. Now you know what? There is what you call RBC. You can go to RBC and make an appointment and there is somebody's going to tell you how you can get that money. My phone ringing every second telling me you need a credit card. You are new to Canada. Need a credit card. Oh, I have money. But I didn't know it was a hole that was digging and digging for me to go down. Giving me too much option, but taking, to, taking from me the only option that I had, God. In that moment, I started experiencing what you call anxiety for the first time. My language started talking about anxiety and depression and think worry. And I call my family. I say, am I the only person who's living this? And you know what was the answer? They said, no, we are all living the same thing. Why? God, the only option we had was taking away from the society and the, being so much comfortable. It's not a bad thing. I'm so blessed. I bless Canada, guys. It's a great country. I love whatever God is doing in this country, the peace and, and, and the provision. But in the same time, I have to be careful. I don't want that comfort to take away the most precious things that I have, God. And when I studied anxiety and the Lord told me, you need to go back in repentance, Deborah, because you are forgetting the one who took you here. You are forgetting the one who provided for you. Remember, Deborah, when people were killed, you were protected. I was there. Remember, Deborah, when you needed food, I was there. I was the one who provided for you. How can I take away that provision for you? The only provision. Only one. How can you have everything and starting having anxiety and when you don't have nothing, you are in peace and hope? Something is going wrong. I prayed and I said, God, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I repented before God. I asked the Lord, God, forgive me. I want you to be the only option. I remember that you say, you promised me you're going to be my father. I was supposed to go to the place to give God again my platform, my heart platform, to walk in it and to remind me, Deborah, don't forget where you come from. God talked to people of Israel. Everything that I'm doing for you, right in the hall. So your children after generation will never forget where they come from. They won't forget that I provided for you. I take care for you. I give you money when you need it. Don't forget where you come from. How many times we forget where we come from? 
Remember your first love where you are ready to do anything for Christ. Remember when you were praying and seeking God day and night and saying, I want to know God. You didn't care about anything what he can give to you. All you wanted is to know him in a deeper way. What happened? Comfort happened. Let's be aware that the world is changing. When you are not aware, we can be we are aware. First thing, we have to be aware of the presence of God. Amen, church. Awareness of the presence of God make everything different. Everything different. But let be aware that the world is changing. How the world is changing? Look around you. There is things that is happening, and if we are not ready, you know what is going to happen? We can be. You're going to be like it won't be me. You can be you tomorrow. Say I don't know about that Christ. I don't think so. You know how we started? Peter, do you know that guy? Uh, no. Peter, do you know that guy? Difficult moment. The same Peter who loved God for all his life, the one he said, on you I'll build my church. He was standing in one place and saying, I don't think that I know him. Who am I? He was walking with Jesus. He went through destruction in that moment. He couldn't wait. He was following Christ. We can still follow God and be distracted if we are not aware where we are standing. Peter renounced and he said no three times. Peter, three times. Let us be ready. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I follow. When the thief comes, they know to make it different, but don't be careful. Be careful. Know the voice of the thief too, so you can make a difference which kind of voice is speaking to you. Which kind of voice is speaking to you? Suffering. Suffering brings strength. When you suffer, you become stronger. Like I was telling you, in a refugee camp, I become stronger. I seek God. I fasted. I go to God every time I want. What can you stand you in this time of difficult? How can you embrace suffering like rejoicement when we are talking about Paul? If you are not spending time in the presence of the one who called you. If option is surrounding you, Netflix and more and more YouTube <laughs> surrounding you. One time in my life, I said to God, I don't want to go through this pain. And the Lord said, the day I called you, you say, use me the way you want to use me. But God, I have an option to tell you. I don't want you to use me exactly the way I want you to use me, but I'm going to tell you how you can use me. How many times we say that to God? Without knowing, we choose. In back of our mind, we choose how God has to use us. We don't surrender completely. And God said, your pain is part of that choice that you made. Allow your heart. Let me walk in this pain. Let walk in this. A moment you know that God is in what I'm doing, everything is, doesn't matter. Three men in a fire. The fourth one who had the face of who? The son, the son of, of God. The moment the, son, the, the first person, the fourth person was there, the fire become like nothing. You can go through the fire, but the fire will never burn you. But can you be ready to go through the fire? So many times it's like, you are ready to go through the fire and trusting that the one who called you, he's going to walk with you through that fire. 
Can we trust God? Can we tell him again this morning and say, God, this afternoon, God, I can trust you again with my pain. God, I'm ready. Tell me what to do. Some of you, my God, is going to be like, I want you to go through prayer. Some of you, maybe God is going to be like, I want you to dig in the word of God. I love what Pastor Paul said. It's not about, oh, that preacher teach me this and I'm going to hold on that. What God is telling you right now? The one who's going to stand up is not the one who are reading all the time the second revelation. It's the first revelation who make a difference. What will stand you, it's not always the second revelation. God is providing those second revelations to push us to have the first revelation of knowing God through the word and through the prayer. Can you allow the Lord to do the open heart surgery in your heart? Which place that you feel, oh yes, I still, you know, I'm just weak. I'm not saying it's not a condemnation moment. It's not a condemnation word. No, you are weak. God knows that you are weak. God said, I don't need to know that you are weak. I want you to know that you are open to let me walk in it. Let us walk hand by hand. I'm going to read this verse. It's on my phone, like Pastor Paul was saying. Thank you for the technology. <laughs> Romans 5, 3. Not only that we are rejoicing in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. <laughs> produce endurance. And endurance produce character. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, life of prayer, holiness, purity, standing, revelation, knowing what God is telling you, discerning what's the word of God for your life in that moment and the season that you are standing in. And the character produces hope. In the suffering, character produces hope. I don't have hope anymore that, like me, wondering and anxiety, you know what? Because I was came. Working away with, uh, with uh, I cannot wait. If I wait, God, to provide for me, it's easy for me. RBC is there. You know what? I was going away from hope, then facing the suffering I was in and entering with God and allowed him to produce, to, to produce miracle for me, depending on him. Produce hope. And the hope does not put us in shame. Pastor Paul said it. The suffering doesn't make us stay here. It brings us here and here. How come people like Paul, after getting chained and beat up in the prison, they're starting worshiping? Lift up their hand before, and they, the Bible says, the glory of God come down, and the chain were broken. They didn't, what was like so weird for me, he didn't run. The guys tried to kill himself. He said, yeah, don't kill yourself. We're still here. He's still staying there, but he was rejoicing. You know what? We can talk about what David wrote. The Lord is my shepherd, but don't forget where those words come from. So many times you read the Bible, those words of worship come from suffering. We can talk about it. Are you ready to go through that suffering to have a word from God? To know who God is. The moment you discover really the face of Jesus. When John was in the Patmos. In a place of alone. In a place where he was there. Because he was speaking the word of God. That's the place that John saw 
Jesus the way he was in his glory. Guys, it wasn't a place where I was just here in the puppet with a nice dress and, and high heel. No, it was a place of loneliness, the place of suffering, but you see God's face in his glory. What we want, there is a price to pay. And we can do that. He stayed in the prison, rejoicing and reassuring that man. We're still here. It's just the glory of God happened when somebody, even in the prison, can worship and lift the name of God on high. Glory come down. And the Bible say again here, he won't put us in shame because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who have been given to us. Suffering, endurance, character, hope, and that hope doesn't put us to shame, but that hope brings what you call overflowing love of God. You are saying, no matter what, I can preach the gospel, even it's going to take my life away. No matter what, I'll be able to stand up for that person, pray for that person, fast for that person. Even it's taking my own ways away. Even taking my strength away, I can stand for those people. No matter what it takes for the name of Christ, to see Christ shining in people's life, I can pay the price. That's what happened when that suffering it can bring out of you what you call overflowing love. I'm going to call Pastor Paul. He's going to... Read this verse for me, and we're going to close. Amen. Thank you, Deborah. The uh, scripture is Psalm 84, verse 4 to 7. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. He said, bless those who dwell in who? The house of the Lord. I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about when you dwell in the presence of God. He said, when they go through the valley of what? The valley of Baca. They changed the place. Even the situation, they didn't say that the valley of Baca was changing. He was in the valley of Baca, but that place is becoming a place of spring, like the water is overflowing in that place. Can you change your place of Baca and say, even if it's a suffering, it will be my place of worship. Even if it's a suffering, it will be my place of glory. Even if it's a suffering, it will be my place to know God like I never knew him before. Even in a place that is a place that I'm looking, and some of you, like I I never went through the fire. I don't know how it looked like. Can you tell yourself and starting talking to God, God, make me ready. Make me ready. Make me ready to know you more. Make me ready. God, I know that I'm not, I'm not there yet. God, I know that it's still difficult, but make me ready, God. Church, we're going to stand. We're going to pray. I don't know which open heart surgery that the Lord is going to do in your heart. But my prayer for myself and all of us tonight, this afternoon is, Lord, I want to be ready. 
Lord, I have run from the suffering and there is things that I avoid in my life to face because I didn't want to go through it. But God, I know that with you, anything, I can go through anything. Through the fire, through the valley, to the valley of Baca. God, give me strength to change that place to be a place of glory. A place where I'm going to worship you. The place where I'm going to seek you. The place that I will know you in a deeper way. I want to see your face the way John in the Patmos place, he saw your face and your glory. He spoke to us about your coming. God, it wasn't a pleasant place, but it was a place where the revelation was coming down from him. I want to know you in a deeper way. God, I pray this today. I pray that your presence, God, will overflowing in this place, that we will know you. I don't want to know you, God, when I'm rejoicing. I don't want to know you, God, just when I, everything is look okay. But I want to be the person who's going to go in your presence, who's going to seek you, who's going to say, Lord, I want to know you the way you are. I don't want to be a person that who's going to avoid stuff and avoiding suffering. But I, I want to be the place person who's going to run into it and saying, Lord, if it's something that you are bringing to me, I'm ready to know you in this place. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know you exactly the way you are. The people who came before us was ready to give their own life for your sake, Lord. They were ready to preach the gospel like Paul, who went, he was beating to death. The people thought that Paul was dying. He stand up again and started speaking about the word of God. And Paul one day said, what can separate me from the love of God? Is the angel, glory, suffering. And he went to this conclusion, said nothing will never separate me from the love of God. Bring us to that place, Lord, when our heart will be ready to say nothing, Lord. I'm ready, Lord, no matter what you're bringing. We give glory to your name, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.